Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. As you've heard me speak about a few times now, Awareness to Grow 2018 is happening this Friday, February 16 in my hometown of Newcastle. I will be speaking at the event about living more with less, along with five other speakers who are all motivational thought leaders in their respective fields. I know it's going to be a fun-filled day that aims to help you look at your world in a different way and to inspire you to want to evolve and experience more, either as an individual or as a member of a team uniting to reach a common goal this year. I do have a discount code for people who are part of the Live Immediately community, which I have included in the show notes of this episode, and also on the events page at liveimmediately.com. I personally can't wait to grow and learn from everyone there on the day, and I hope to see you there too if you're in the neighborhood. If you have any questions about the event, then please reach out to me, and I'll try to help where I can. Now on to today's episode, and I welcome back a good friend, Kate Flanders, to the podcast. Kate and I originally spoke back in episode 19 about mindful budgeting, which I have linked to in the show notes. I wanted to have Kate back on the podcast for many reasons, but also as she has recently written a book titled The Year of Less, How I Stopped Shopping, Gave Away All My Belongings, and Discovered Life is Worth More Than Anything You Can Buy in a Store. As you'll hear me say a number of times during our chat, I absolutely loved reading this book. And the book's about so much more than Kate's year of no shopping. It's a heartfelt story about a woman discovering herself and battling a few demons along the way. Kate and I cover so much in this episode. Some of the big takeaways for me were around the importance of starting, how you don't need and will never have the answers to everything before you start something new, but starting is exactly what you need to do. The use of experiments to change habits, how we build a little more confidence every time we step out of our comfort zone, and how big changes come from small decisions. And the fundamental importance of positive self-talk, that kindness is often what we need from ourselves. Kate is a wonderful person that has created positive change in her life by changing how she lives her life. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kate Flanders. Hi, Kate. How are you? So good. I'm so excited to be talking again. Exactly. And again is 100% right because welcome back to the uh, the Live Immediately podcast. We had the uh, the privilege of chatting with each other back on episode 19. And for everyone that is listening that might not have listened to that episode, I will link to it in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. But in that episode, Kate, we spoke about mindful budgeting and we kind of touched on your year, or actually your your two years of, of not shopping, but I wanted to have you back on the podcast today as you have recently written the book titled The Year of Less, How I Stopped Shopping, Gave Away All My Belongings, and Discovered Life is Worth More Than Anything You Can Buy in a Store. I just wanted to start by saying massive congratulations. I absolutely loved reading this book. Thank you so much. It's so um, just nice to hear that from friends, just to, and also just to be able to share it. Like it's been so great to have it finally be out there because the the traditional book publishing process is so weird in that, you know, I've been done that book for seven or eight months or something wow. at this point. <laughs> and so it's so nice just to finally have it out there. But thank you. Yeah, I know you're more than welcome. And and like part of me wants to say that the book is about your year of not spending in the shopping ban that you put yourself on. But deep down, it's just not. Like the book is so much more than that. For me, it's this heartfelt story about a woman discovering herself and battling a, a few demons along the way. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, when I was working on the outline of the book with my agent it was 
obviously very important for the timeline of the book to be the shopping ban. That was, you know, this challenge I set out to do starting on my 29th birthday and um, for, for so many reasons, but truly just because I wasn't, you know, kind of happy with the fact that I was making a decent income, but I wasn't getting anywhere with my financial goals. And I just knew like there had to be a different way. Um, and so that was sort of the timeline of it. But there were so many other things that happened that year and just lessons I learned about myself kind of as a consumer as a whole. Mm. Oh, most definitely. And, and I'm sure we're going to dive deep into those lessons through this chat. But you kind of touched on it there about really not having your finances in control. Like, what was the main reason for starting the experiment and for not shopping for a year in the first place? So um, it's funny because a big misconception that I've been getting in a lot of interviews, and I know it wouldn't be with you, but it's something that keeps coming up is people keep thinking that I, I did this to pay off my debt. Um, but actually, I had already paid off my debt in 2013 and, and had written about that pretty publicly on my blog. Um, the problem was the way that I approached my debt repayment was super aggressive. And so, you know, I mean, I will obviously never regret that I got out of debt, but I was so aggressive in my approach that the things I was doing with my numbers, like how much I had cut back on spending and the fact that I was just like depriving myself so much and also in depriving myself, like also saying not that nice things to Mm. myself. Like I was, I just felt like I had you know, I was a failure or I had screwed everything up and I kind of had no chance of having like a strong financial future. And I was so, so, so hard on myself for getting to that point with my debt that, yeah, I think I really deprived myself, like almost the way that you do if like when people talk about doing like Mm. crash diets or, or things like that, right? Like you just suck all the good out and, and it's like you're starving yourself. So I think that while I'm obviously glad I paid off my debt, um, looking back, I'm always like, I should have um, given myself a little more of a budget just for living Mm. and um, yeah, and just not been so hard on myself because getting into debt doesn't make you a bad person. Mm. It's like you're not a right. You're not a bad person because you have debt. That's just a financial decision you made. Mm. And if you don't want it, then, okay, well, now it's the time to kind of work on whatever you do want. And the, um, thi- the thing, too, I, I, I liked about when you kind of started out this experiment is that you didn't have all the answers at the beginning. And I, and I think it's an important aspect to kind of bring up because not having all of the answers and not having everything worked out or not having everything just perfect is is often what stops people from starting many things in the first place. Like with you, how did you, like at the beginning of the experiment, how did you move past not knowing the answers to every possible scenario? Well, I think like, first of all, I was just nodding my head. Like, yes, people do. Like it does stop people from starting a lot of things. Like I even hear that from people who are like, I would like to start a blog, but they think they need to have, everything lined up before they publish their first post. Um, So for me, I think that it really came from a place of there, there are certain things that I have started without knowing what they were going to look like later. Um, One of them actually being my blog. Like when I started my blog, I used to write anonymously. I didn't want anyone in my family to know about it. Um, So I wrote anonymously and I used to, All I did was on Sundays, I published these weekly spending reports where I just outlined how much I'd spent that week. And that was it. Like it was, it was never going to be a blog that it is today or a blog that would get me a book deal or whatever. It was never going to be any of those things. I just wrote for myself. And so I think that there are a few different things in life that I've done um, that are similar to that. And you just, I don't know, maybe I'm very naive going into them. <laughs> um, but I think it, it, even with the shopping ban, it wasn't, um, or I think something that helped was that 
you know, if I, if I flubbed up anywhere along the way, like it wasn't going to hurt anybody. Like it was really just an experiment. Right. And so I think that I also knew like, you can't really predict what's going to happen in a year. And that became very obvious as the year went on. Um, but yeah, I, I could never predict everything. So it was sort of a mix of like, these are rules that I think can work at the beginning and that I can look kind of into the immediate future and think I'll need. Um, but I really just also had to learn how to trust myself. And, and yeah, it just if rules or if you kind of have to go off path or if, or if that year there is something I needed to buy, just learning the difference between justifying something you don't need and really trusting yourself and going, yeah, I do need this thing. Yeah, it's so true. And and I guess talking about needing things and not needing things, we've we've all purchased things that we don't really need and and decluttering was one of the things that that you started out doing and and, and clothes I guess are are a, a beacon when it comes to to items that we we often don't need because we all have so many clothes but we often have nothing to wear and when Inga and I were going through a, a decluttering process I quickly realized that the 80-20 rule was alive and well in my wardrobe and that I pretty much wore 20% of my clothes 80% of the time and you had a similar realization when you were kind of wearing the same 20 items and you would cycle through them. When you were kind of going through decluttering and, and kind of minimizing things, what were some of the first items of clothing that you purged? Oh, gosh. Well, I will say that I did clothes. Like I tackled sort of my closet and my dresser before anything else um, because at first it was really easy. Um, I had that realization very early on when I started decluttering that um, I, I've always been someone who wears basically the same few outfits every week. And I can look back and tell you what that was when I was a kid, what it was like all throughout high school. Um, you know, it changes every year, but every year or two, it's pretty much just these same outfits that I'm wearing. And so clothes were easy at first. I remember the first time I went through them, I basically dumped my closet and drawers, everything out onto the floor and onto the bed. And in that first swoop, like I got rid of 55% of them. And I did try things on, like if I was kind of questioning it. Um, but there were some things just like, I don't know, like there was a, um, a black dress that I had loved when I was probably in like my mid 20s. And but it just still like it didn't fit right anymore. And I had all these thoughts like, oh, if I were to lose five pounds, it probably would fit. But then just realizing like, no, like your body just changes mm -hmm. as you get older, too. And even if I lost five pounds, like, I, I don't know, I don't actually think I do want to wear that dress mm -hmm. anymore. And you, um, you kind of touched on something there about like, starting with the clothes because it was easy. And I, and mm -hmm. I think that's a good point. Like sometimes when we you know, we're kind of at the bottom of the mountain and you're looking up going, whether it is a shopping ban or whether you're like, okay, I want to declutter my house or whatever it is. Sometimes starting with those easy, quick wins, um, is a great place to start because you can kind of get that momentum happening. But I guess too, also with clothes, like when we look at our wardrobe, we can sometimes go, wow. And you know, this black dress might've been similar to this. You go, but what about all the money? that I've spent mm. on these clothes. Like, how did you kind of get past, I don't know whether guilt's the right word, but that, that past money that you've already spent on, on items that you now know you just don't need them. Yeah. I think the guilt is the right word. Um, unfortunately, I mean, in guilt, the difference between that and shame, like Brene Brown talks about this a lot, like guilt is just like, I did something wrong. Whereas shame is I am wrong. So guilt, definitely it's it's that feeling of like, oh, like I wasted this money. I shouldn't have done that. Um, it, w it wasn't so much present for me with clothes, but I did start to have it with some of the bigger, bigger items that I realized I just never used. And I think there were two things that helped. Like one, 
starting to recognize that not only did it kind of make me feel guilty that I had spent money on it, but every time I looked at those things, I just felt bad in general because I also wasn't using them. And when you're looking around your home and so much of the stuff you're looking at actually just makes you feel bad, it's that for me was something that really helped me start to let go because it was like, I don't want my home to feel mm. like that. I don't want to look around a room and feel bad when I look at things. And, like I want to look at the stuff that I actually use and feel good about it. And it's so true. Like our, our physical environment has such an impact on like our, our mental state of mind, like how we, the environment that we're in, like it really does change, you know, whether we are happy or sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it was realizing I wanted to feel good in that space again. Um, and then with the money stuff, because it is real, it is real that we've spent that money. But um, actually, our friend Courtney Carver talks about this a lot, which is just the idea that we've already paid the price. Like, and we're, if we keep holding on to it, but keep don't like not using it, we're just continuing to pay the price. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was it's like a sunk cost at that point you've paid for it. The money's gone. Unfortunately, there's nothing you can do to get it back. Um, I mean, there's some stuff you could sell, you could sell some stuff and get some money back. But yeah, I think that for me, it was important to just kind of let go of it. Mm. I had, I had paid the price for long enough. And you know, the, the not shopping for a year, it was, I guess an experiment in, trying to to change some habits you know you had some bad spending habits uh you weren't in debt but you you might have been not saving as much as you wanted to and and spending money on on items that you might not have needed but you've also had experience in changing your habits when you decided to to give up alcohol what was more difficult giving up shopping or or giving up drinking oh i mean without a doubt giving up drinking um but it was like I um, started drinking when I was 12 years old and I stopped when I was 27. And um, it, yeah, the toughest parts are like, it was the first, ex- not experiment because it's for life, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was the first big habit I've ever changed where I realized um, not only like, yeah, that it was sort of part of, regular life for me and that it would be hard to change that but that I used it for all the wrong reasons and really used it to kind of cover up any any tough feelings that I didn't want to deal with um a lot of insecurities like I used alcohol to get me through a lot of social situations even through dating or like early stages of dating I just um I was not comfortable in those situations and it's only been with, you know, now more than five years of sobriety and stuff like that, that I've really realized too, that I actually think I have been someone who has had anxiety for a long time. Um, and I also am starting to realize that alcohol I was probably using to mask Mm -hmm. some of that, but yeah, definitely without a doubt, drinking was harder What was interesting was going through um, the year of not being able to buy stuff that it's not like it was hard every day to not shop, but it was hard during certain moments. Like I, I really going into it didn't think that I was someone who used kind of like retail therapy to make me feel better or anything like that. But that year went through a few different things where I realized actually, yeah, I am like, Mm -hmm. I am definitely someone who, uh, you know, and and in a way it's not that surprising. Like I couldn't use drinking. So then I maybe switched it to spending. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that year it was like, well, now I can't do any of the things. Yeah. And Um, you, you, you touch there, you know, about, you know, drinking from 12 and, and I guess in this book, there are so many, very deep and personal stories. And, and for me, that's what makes this book so real and, and so much more than a shopping ban that I will probably keep saying throughout the, this entire chat. <laughs> but, you know, there are stories in there, as you kind of touched on, you know, um, getting drunk for the first time when you were 12 with your biological father, your, your wild years in your 20s, you 
some of these changes that you were making in your own life then meant that there were changes with your friendship groups and things like that. You, you learnt about the divorce of your parents and there were these stories about these past boyfriends, Andrew and Chris. Oh. And, and, and I'm going to summarise these, so please correct me if I, if I get any of this wrong. But, but Chris, he was your, your long-term partner, a bit of a toxic and a, an abusive relationship. You guys broke up many times. But to get over each time, you could kind of numb the pain through drinking. Where with Andrew, you met while being sober and you had this great connection. It was a, a long distance relationship. But then when you met in person, everything was great until it wasn't. And you wrote something that I thought was so beautiful in the book. You said, I felt things and I kept living. How did you feel in that moment of your life? Oh, man. Okay, well, I will say, first of all, you did a great job of summarizing those <laughs> relationships. Um, yeah, I remember sort of the, the breakup with Andrew took um, a few weeks, as it kind of does with long distance anyways. Like, it, it's not as easy as just having one conversation and saying, like, okay, we're done. Um, there's a lot to kind of mull over when when you're long distance. And so it took a few weeks for us to actually break up. But I remember, you know, once I knew it was actually over, um, feeling so just kind of, I don't know if like empty is the right word, but like, it's sort of like a bit of rejection. Empty is kind of the right word in that like, that's physically how my body felt. Like you just, like you have no idea sort of how to move forward. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's your person that you've been, you know, sharing all your, all your life things with every day for the past while. And, and then they're gone. And yeah, you're just like, not sure who you're supposed to talk to every day, um, how to kind of fill just that daily void, but also you have to let go of any of the, the trips we had planned and just kind of short-term plans that we had kind of lined up and you have to let go of all of it. And it feels like you have this big hole. Like I guess actually empty is the right word for it. And I, it was really, really hard, but yeah, it was just the first breakup or just kind of moment of rejection even where I've, that I've gone through and coming out of it, even just like a few weeks later, realizing, wow, okay. Like I, I didn't die. Like, mm. I don't know what I thought I was going to experience when I used to just drink it away, but I, I survived that. Like it's been a few weeks and then a few months and you're like, Oh, I actually, I'm still living. Mm. I'm still, you know, reading and writing and doing things with my life. And everything actually is okay. Like it, it would still hurt for a while. Like, Oh, I kind of wish we could talk, but then you just realize mm. that you're carrying on. Yeah, for me, it felt like that was the moment that like you could, you knew that you could survive. Like you didn't mm -hmm. need to run and hide anymore that you, you had felt life, the pain and the sorrow of it, but you kept on living and you, you kept on surviving. Like for me, I don't know, just reading, I was like, that's the point. That was the, the tipping point of kind of realizing that you didn't need to, to go back to those, those old ways that, that feeling something, whether it is a, a positive or a negative is living. Well, and it, it was interesting too, in that time, like I didn't include all of this in the, the book, but, um, I remember having a lot of thoughts, not about that I wanted to drink, but sort of just those feelings like, oh, this is what I would normally do right now. Like I hadn't gone through a breakup since I had been sober. So I had, yeah, I had just never gone through those motions. Um, and, I, and so I remember kind of having flashbacks of not just the breakup with Chris, but kind of other scenarios that I had been in and and just realized like, yeah, like just exactly that, that I like feelings hurt. It hurts to feel them um, if they're tough ones, but that it's literally one day at a time. And in a way, that's sort of not just the way I live every day, but I mean, that's kind of a, a motto for things like sobriety, like with AA, that you just have to do that stuff one day at a time. And 
Um, I even think about that now a lot, like with my anxiety, because I've um, finally taken a lot more of a, not interest in it, but I just, I'm really self-aware of it. And so even just reminding myself to like be in the moment rather than worrying about what's ahead helps me control my anxiety now. And yeah, I think it is just like, you can't always worry about what's coming. Um, and it is just like, as long as today you could do your best today, then you can wake up tomorrow and mm. try and do it again. Mm. We, you, you touched on it earlier in, in our conversation and, and I guess a little bit too there when you were like, okay, this is the time where I'm, you know, I might have, have gone back drinking, but self-talk, like how has positive self-talk become important to you? It has been huge. And truly, I did not learn that lesson until the shopping ban. Um, so to backtrack that, I can say that, you know, in the past, if I had ever set myself up for some kind of challenge or um, really just all kinds of things, like if I if if I didn't do it perfectly or if I screwed something up or I just gave up early or whatever, I would be so hard on myself. And the problem with that is that especially if you um, are just kind of using any kind of substance to help you feel better and that could literally be anything like whether it is alcohol or drugs or even just eating too much like takeout food or shopping or spending money on whatever um the problem is that if you are really really hard on yourself for what you've done i find that is what keeps you in the cycle of continuing to just binge and use those things and so in the during the shopping ban there were there were kind of multiple occasions but there was one very specific one where i had actually talked myself into making a purchase that i didn't need and very quickly backtracked and talked myself out of it as well um but i knew that in that moment if i had been really really hard on myself i probably would have given up I would have just gone out and bought a bunch of stuff or like blown a bunch of money. Um, in the same way in the past, I would have probably done that with drugs or alcohol and, and definitely with food. I've, I talk openly in the book too, or it's more of drinking stories, but definitely have been someone who would binge eat on occasion and, and stuff like that. So I think that for me, having to switch the language around has been huge because even now, like I will have people say like, you know, I've, I've tried to do a shopping ban before, but, um, I, I bought something two months in or whatever. And so I just gave up mm. and I'm like, well, I totally get it. I think that it is the giving up part is in the language or the story that you're telling yourself about that, that moment, because I think that, okay, like you bought something. So what, like, did you hurt anyone by doing that? Mm. Like, did you, do anything bad like I think I, I really want to make sure now and I'm, I'm trying to do it in, in interviews and stuff and just say like buying stuff isn't bad and spending money is not bad and and the same way I said at the beginning like getting yourself into debt you're not a bad person um, but yeah I, I think with with something like that if if you do kind of you know buy something or go against your rules for me now it's really important to just like take it as a learning experience and in, in the sense that like it's really just hitting pause and saying like okay like what was happening today how was I feeling uh, what environment was I in you know was I around other people who were doing that thing um, what are kind of the, some of the triggers that maybe made me do that and learn from that so that you know something about yourself um, and then carry on because mm -hmm. it it feels so much better to get to the end of like let's say you did a year of not shopping, like it, if you get to the end and you actually bought something on one day, like that still means that you didn't buy stuff for 364 days. Mm. And that, like in school, that would, you'd get an A plus for that. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know I mean? it's so, we are so harsh on ourselves. It's, it's unbelievable. And like, are there things that you, are there, are there certain things that you do to ensure that you, create like a, a positive self-talk um, space or or is it really just kind of being more self-aware of you know the situation that you're in 
I think for me now it is, I try to really be intentional about what I'm doing before I do it. So even things like, um, like I've, I've, I've certainly been someone who I would, you know, tell myself I'm not going to eat, I don't know, chocolate or pizza or something. I'm not going to eat something bad for like a month. And then you have a little bit and then I would eat like the whole thing and I'd be so hard on myself. So now I'm someone like, if I really want chocolate, I will literally say like, okay, I'm going to have some chocolate right now. And you, you just like know it before you're doing it rather than doing it impulsively and binging. Um, and you're just like, yeah, I'm going to eat some chocolate and I'm really going to enjoy it. And then there's no guilt and no shame about it. Mm. It's an intentional decision. And then I don't even think about it. Like, it's just, yeah, I wanted some chocolate and I ate it. Um, and I no guilt, like this is just something that's happening right now. And with shopping, um, same thing. I just, I don't go out shopping or I don't buy things unless I like it's very intentional again I will often just say like it's really important to feel the need for something before buying it rather than buying it impulsively um and so yeah like if I go out to make a purchase I know that that's what's happening like I'm like yeah today I'm going out to get this one thing or these three things or whatever and um that's all I'm buying I don't need anything else and then there's no guilt about it like this is exactly what I'm doing then you do it the end like mm -hmm. there's no more discussion needed and through the experiment you also discovered simple living um and I guess really the way that you know when, when you kind of figured out what simple living is it, it kind of reminded you of of what your childhood was like and it's very similar to kind of like what my childhood was like too why do you think as we grow up, we try to complicate everything? Oh my gosh, great question. <laughs> like such a great, like, do you have the answer? <laughs> this is why I get to ask the questions, Kate. I know, I know. No, it's, um, it is an interesting one. Part of me thinks that it's somewhat generational in that, so the childhood you're talking about is, like I grew up with my parents, um, we had huge garden beds in the backyard. We had fruit trees. Like we, we grew so many of our own fruits and vegetables, um, handmade everything. Like nothing was prepackaged really, you know? And, um, my mom was also an amazing seamstress. And, you know, if, if my clothes weren't like from a thrift store, my mom made them for me. Um, my dad is someone who can literally just do anything like right now he's literally outside I'm at his house and he's outside welding something <laughs> I don't know what he's doing um, so I just grew up in a in an environment where my parents really valued being able to do things themselves and I think that I definitely grew up in I don't know if you want to call it like the digital revolution like where just um, we have very much come to value convenience and so I think that not that we've lost like the hard work part, because I think that my work ethic is that I'm a hard worker, but in like regular daily life, um, I don't know. I just sort of went the route of doing whatever was more convenient or was easier. And often that meant like buying things for really cheap, um, just getting someone else to do something for me. I like I was I will say I was really bad and lazy about one thing. Like I used to make my mom doing my do my sewing projects in school. <laughs> <laughs> I just I didn't have an interest and instead opted for I don't know, like easy and I also opted for socializing, which mm. was not great, but yeah, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a challenge, you know. Like I know that we uh when I say we Ingrid and I are definitely, you know, simplifying things um but to simplify things you often had to complicate them in the first place so hopefully um we can teach our little one to to not complicate her her life too much but you well, mentioned you mentioned sorry oh i was just gonna add to that i think that what was important about identifying it and then asking for a little bit of help and learning some things it was it was really the learning part is that once I actually took the time to learn a few things, like I asked basically all the women in my family for sewing lessons. Um, and once I learned a few things, it, it just, I don't know, it was like such a reminder of 
probably something you would learn as a kid, which is like every time you learn a new skill, you become more confident. And I think that I don't know if I used to tell myself that I couldn't do those things, but once I saw that I could, there just did come this kind of new level of confidence. Like, Mm. oh, not only is it not that hard, but I learned something. Like, how cool is that? And I don't know. Sometimes I think that we think we've learned everything and we're just done. And it was a good reminder that like, nope, I have lots to learn. Oh, most definitely. I, I feel the older I get, the less I know. But um, that's for a conversation another day, I think. Um, <laughs> but you, you mentioned that you're, you're at your dad's house. And, and we did touch on before that, you know, through this year, you discovered that your parents were, were getting a divorce, which is, you know, a huge, awful moment in your life. How did you contain yourself and, and not throw in the towel and drink your sorrows away or, or shop until your tears dried? Well, I will say that um, I cried a lot for months. And it was, it, I, I went through a lot of emotional stuff during that time because I would even have thoughts like, I'm 29 years old. Why am I so upset about my parents getting divorced? Um, but I grew up in a house where I really didn't see that coming and none of my siblings did. Um, I'm also the oldest by eight and 10 years. And so I, I also kind of had to carry the weight of what my siblings were going through because they were so much younger. Um, and just, I worried about them and, and as I've always had to do, (laughs) um, but it was, it was really hard. I, and it was funny too, kind of even working on the book, the like the publisher and even my agent were like, you know, there's kind of so much sadness still, like in the middle and towards the end of the book. And, you know, people are hoping you get to like a happy place. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's a nice idea to think that you can be sad about something for like a few weeks or a month and that you can just kind of package it up and that's over and done with but that has been hard for honestly a couple years like I don't Mm. I don't cry about it anymore or anything but um divorce changes a lot within a family and changed a lot of our dynamics and relationships and um so I think I really had to grieve like the family that I had known and and knew like it was definitely never going to be the same again and um I think I just you know, in some ways in the beginning of it, I didn't have the healthiest habits. And I talk about that a bit in the book where I found for a couple of weeks, I was going back to just like, I wasn't binging on food, but I just stopped caring kind of about cooking or just kind of doing anything healthy. And so mm-hmm. I just was like always getting takeout or, um, yeah, just, I, I spent kind of weeks like just laying in bed like as soon as I finished work I would just like crawl into bed and like watch tv for the whole rest of the day like I just wasn't really dealing with it um but yeah I mean it it helped to have at least one friend I had two girlfriends who I very much let in in on just sort of how sad I was feeling it was kind of the first time in my life where I've ever said the words like I think I might be depressed Mm. um, which felt very scary to say because I've I've grown up with a lot of depression in our family and have, you know, I, it was like, I never wanted to use that word lightly, but I was just like, I don't know. Like I, I'm sad all the time. This is just like not normal for me. And I can't seem to like get out of this funk. Um, so, but really by letting two people in on that, that, uh, my friend Claire, who her parents had gotten divorced just like a year or two before, and she'd had a really hard time with it. Um, and then my best friend, Emma, I mean, her parents got divorced when she was, mm, I think, like 10 or 12. But um, she still understood it and and was also, <laughs> unfortunately, able to tell me that, like, it gets easier, but things are going to change and this is normal now. Mm. So, um, But I kind of needed that, too. Like, it was a bit of a reality check that uh, you just have to be prepared and things are going to be different now. Mm. And I guess, too, with, like... Everything else that happened that we've kind of spoken about, if, if all that wasn't enough, you, you also kind of decided in this year that you would leave stability, I guess, your full-time job and become a, a freelance writer. 
How did it feel waking up being your own boss for the first time? I will say um, it's, again, it's always like in hindsight. We have no idea what we're doing sometimes in the moment. (laughs) In hindsight, it's um, not that surprising sort of that like the one area of my life I felt I could control a little bit was my employment and that had never been an option for me before. Um, but that year I had put so much energy into just saying yes to every opportunity that felt good. And it just was one of those things that like became an option. So it was like, if I don't do it now, um, I don't know, like, I think I'll always kick myself for it. And, and actually, and I hadn't thought about this till I was about to say the words, but it reminds me of what you said earlier in our conversation about how it was really another thing I did that I didn't know what the final outcome would be. Mm. Um, I remember quitting my job and just telling myself, like, as long as I could do this for like six months, even if I had to get a job after, I think it would be so worth it. And it's been almost, well, it'll be three years in June and I'm so far still (laughs) self-employed. But that first morning, it definitely felt like there was a weight off. Um, I had gotten just really, um, unhappy in my position by the end of it. And it felt like a huge weight off. Like I, I was very nervous too. And I think that, um, like I learned, I knew it even then I felt self-aware enough about it then that like every time I've been coming up against like a new challenge or some amount of change, I feel very nervous and, mm. and anxious a bit because you, it's full of unknowns. You have no idea what's going to happen. But I knew that I was excited to at least be able to attempt this for a little while. I kind of, I didn't do it until I had about six months of work lined up in front of me and, and had saved quite a large cash buffer so that I felt comfortable so um, I, I guess okay, that was kind of like your safety net in a way. You had yeah. you had a little bit of work lined up. You would kind of say it wasn't just one day you woke up and you're like, you know what, I'm going to quit my job. Like no, there, there, no. There, there was this this you know a little bit of thought that you would hope most people would kind of put into a big decision like this. But still, you know, kind of you touched on it again. Like it is that unknown. But at the end of the day, you've you've got to take that step. Well, I mean, it, it does come with some planning. Like you just said, like I spent, I don't know what, four or so months like saving, like I already had some savings and then I set this new goal for myself. Like I want at least this amount before I quit. Um, and so that was part of the plan. I also had just started telling people, like I would kind of tell like one person a day, like, Oh, I'm thinking of leaving my job soon. And and because sometimes it was just for support or like accountability, but occasionally people were like, oh, I have some work for you. Um, and so I just sort of, it was like setting the intention. Like every time I told someone, I was just setting the intention still of like, yes, this is what's going to happen. And um, once I had, I didn't have quite the full amount. I was off by a thousand dollars, but I had a ton of work lined up. And actually the first six months of being self-employed was, it was like good financially, but it was awful in that I worked all the time. <laughs> there's uh there's always two sides of that coin, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> mm. But I, I guess too, like, you know, you, you lost weight and you got your health back. You, you saved money and, and you kind of got your finances back on track. You've been sober now for, for five years, which, you know, massive congratulations. Um, you put yourself on a shopping ban for a year and and then you actually did it for another year. You quit your job and, and you went freelance. Like, wow. Does stepping out of your comfort zone get easier the more times you do it? Yes, because I was going to say the wow is, um, I have that too sometimes where people are like, you've done all these things. Like, <laughs> it's incredible. I'm like, everyone I've done though has been... Um, It's like I've gotten a little more confidence from the last time that I did this because childhood me, like, I'm not kidding when I say I was a kid who I would try to fake being sick all the time because I had too much anxiety and didn't want to go to school even. So I, it it is not, 
in my normal realm to step outside of my comfort zone. Um, but uh, I, I guess has... on that point though, okay, like if it's not in your normal realm and there's people listening going, you know, that's not me, I'm, you know, whether it be insecure or, or I've got mm-hmm. anxiety as well. How did you, how did you kind of teach yourself to step out of the comfort zone and, and try new things? I, if I look back, I think it started with, um, gosh, what year was this? 2012. I, my life was very stable. Like I was, um, close to paying off my debt. Um, I had a full-time job with the government, which is, you'd have to do something like really awful here to get fired from the government. Um, so I had like a, an apartment that was, the rent was decent. Like it was a fine amount and I could afford the life that I had here. And, um, then I got a job offer with a financial startup across the country and I was terrified, but I also felt like it was this calculated risk of really looking at numbers, um, just kind of figuring out, like I had a place to, to live when I first got there. I had a friend out there who had a room. Um, and so I really just ran a lot of numbers. Also felt actually pretty confident in with my government job that even in leaving, if something happened, I could probably go back. Mm. Um, and so it was the first time, like it was the safety net thing. Like I didn't just leap. I, I was pretty considerate and really had to think about, um, yeah, like what would happen, kind of the what ifs. And I would just say it's, I was a calculated risk and that was the first time I was terrified. I remember quitting my job and I started bawling my eyes out. (laughs) (laughs) It was not like I walked in confidently and thought, yeah, I'm doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, which is Um, a good thing to bring up because often we think that people that take the leap kind of do it with this, you know, confidence with this cape on their back and off they go. But, but it's, it's not like sometimes there is that, that hesitation and that shaking as we kind of step off the cliff and, 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 and often having that safety net and whatever that safety net is for people. I know when, when we went traveling for a year and everyone's like, wow, how could you kind of do that? Well, for, for me, knowing that we had our, our home back here, if anything mm-hmm. happened, I was like, well, we're just going to come home. Like mm-hmm. I can, I can come back to the life that we had. It might not be exactly the same, but we'll figure it out. Um, and everyone's safety net is different. You know, I think figuring out what your safety net is, some people might need a bigger one. Some people might need a smaller one, but finding that safety net that allows you to take that leap as long as, and this is something that I think we, we both agree with as long as the safety net isn't perfection because then, then, then you'll never do it. Never. And I can also think about that, like, you know, just things that I had kind of purchased over the years or um, things that I thought I would do. And when I was younger, like I I never did any of them because I wasn't perfect. I like I used to I would try a sport like my parents would make me try sports or whatever. And I would take one step like onto a court or into a field. And if I wasn't perfect, I quit after the first day. Um and yeah, so no, I think I, I identify with that as well. I think that the calculated risk or the safety net is important. And then something my friend Sarah and I talk a lot about is and it's kind of nerdy in that it's a sort of a personal finance reference, but um, is the idea that like every small change you make pays compound interest. So it not only is that change likely positive that you've just made, but it gives you a little bit of confidence to then make another one. Like you're like, oh, I, I, I was able to do this one thing, so maybe I could also tackle this other thing. Mm. Um, I had that when I started paying off my debt in 2011, I, it was only about six or seven months later or like into it that I was like, you know what? Like I'm not really happy with my weight right now. I could probably do something about this and then just built a really healthy um, like diet and exercise, like not a diet. I just like kind of stopped eating junk food. Like I mm. just ate, ate more healthy food and then I was exercising more often and there was nothing, nothing crash diety about it, nothing like that. It was just like, I want to be healthier. And, and from there, it's then not that surprising that 
you know, I got healthier, lost some weight and stuff, and then started realizing I was taking pretty good care of myself. And you know what? I also think it's time to quit drinking now. Mm. And so I do just think that it's, it's sort of impossible to only change one area of your life. I think that once you've made a change in one area, you will get the confidence to at least try, try, even if it's a small change, right? Like just mm. try to change something else. And I think that word is, is so true. The, the trying, you know, it's, it's, and it's, you know, trying and experimenting. It doesn't always have to be this, this perfect solution at the end, but as long as you're trying, then you're improving. You know, as you said, it's those little, little changes that kind of compound on each other. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it might look like someone has made a lot of big changes. Like it might look like I've made a lot of huge changes in my life, but it's all come from a lot of really small decisions that have eventually led to that. Like even like being able to quit my job, it just came from years of doing a little bit of freelance and then maybe a little more and then learning how to like let go of a client if they're not a good fit and just like learning little things about the business before just jumping into it. Um, like I freelanced for, yeah, like at least four years before I actually quit my job. So, mm. um, Kate, I have one final question for you, and it is one that I have asked you before, and it's one that I do ask all of my guests, and that's if you could please describe your perfect day. Mm, okay, so right now, I don't remember what I said before. I'm glad I don't remember. <laughs> right now, I will say in some ways, um, I'm living the perfect day I outlined for myself in a blog post I wrote four years ago. And I didn't realize this until about six months ago. Um, I wrote a post in, I think it was like March of 2013 that asked that, describe your perfect day five years from now. And I talked about how I worked from home. I was an author and a freelance writer and a public speaker. Um, I did say I had a dog. I don't have a dog right now, but um, yeah, I just sort of outlined that. So I would say for me, it starts with a slow morning. So it, every day that is a different amount of time. So some days I do have morning meetings. So my slow morning might only be 15 minutes long, but it's um, having coffee and reading or listening to a, a podcast before I ever check my email or social media, or anything else. Um, so just having some quiet, like, me time before I get started for the day. Um, yeah, working, um, writing is the most important. I haven't had time for it in the past few weeks, and that's the thing that I'm going to bring back now, that promotion, or most promotion is over. <laughs> and um, getting outside. Getting outside is really important for me, and it's something that uh, you know, years ago, I would have just said like, oh, yeah, like nature is therapy. And now I'm like, yeah, it's actually like essential in a way, like for just daily life, especially for how plugged in we are. Mm. It's so important to um, just go for like an hour long walk. It doesn't have to always be, you know, strictly in nature. I know sometimes we have busy days and stuff, but like even just taking the time to walk more around town to do errands rather than always drive. Um, stuff like that, just kind of being outside, getting the fresh air. And yeah, that's really important. You spoke there about the exercise of, of writing your, your, your ideal day or perfect day in five years time. And, and it must be great now that you've kind of got that realization that what you wrote for your future self is actually kind of pretty close to spot on. How does that make you feel? It's, it was pretty surreal, like six months ago or so when I found that because I, I completely forgot about that blog post. And then I was going through the archives looking for something else and saw that and read it and was just like, what? Like, mm. <laughs> it was so surreal. Um, it does feel good. I will say, like, if I'm being completely honest, I think that right now it's sort of putting me in a, um, thought of just like, what's next? Mm -hmm. I think that's very natural for us to start to gravitate towards of like, what is next? Um, and it doesn't actually for me mean like, you know, next uh, goal or achievement. It's not like that. It's really kind of checking in with like, 
is that the path I want to be on? And um, am I feeling good in this place? And so I think it just right now it's going to be time for reflection and, and just, um, I'm not a, I'm not great at like long-term planning. Like I feel like I didn't obviously plan that in the sense that I I haven't had that like up, up on a piece of paper Mm. in front of me. I did not remember that that blog post existed even, but just kind of, yeah, I just really want to check in and, and just look at all the things like, what does blogging look like for me in the next year? What is writing? Do I want to do another book? Like just kind of really thinking even just in the next year or two, kind of the things I want and, and make sure they're all still making me happy. Mm, Which is the, uh, the end goal really. But yeah. um, Oh no, you can go ahead. No, 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 please. I was going to say just the topic of happiness is so, um, interesting because I, I mean, we could talk about it forever. I think something I've had to realize is that like, I don't think you can be happy all day, every day. Um, so for me, it's really like what brings me the most moments of happiness in my day and, and knowing that, yeah, like it still takes hard work and like mm. not every day is easy. And also just dealing with anxiety and stuff like not every day is easy. And some days I wonder like what the heck I'm doing. Yeah. And I think that's just a normal part of being a human being. <laughs> but I think too, like being self-aware of, of actually what makes you happy. So then you can Mm -hmm. hopefully gravitate towards doing those things more. It's, you know, it's for me, it's, it's why I really do ask that question about asking people to describe their perfect day often to illustrate our perfect days are so simple that we don't Mm -hmm. need to, to cloud them with all of this complication. But also for me, I, I always try to look at my perfect day and go, okay, great. You know, I've never had one that kind of ticks every single box, but if I can tick a couple of them and maybe a couple that I can start in the morning, then for me, at least I've kind of touched perfection a little bit during the day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think, I think in 2017 I did this year of like slow living experiments and it, it makes, I didn't really plan for this, but I did know like in, in January I started with slow mornings and then in December I ended up doing slow evenings. And I think that's it for me is like having a bit of quiet time in the morning and then it's like more quiet time at night. And because there's things about it, I love like having quiet time, drinking coffee, reading in the morning, like that sounds amazing. And then my evening is usually very similar in that it's, um, relaxing. I might have a bath. Um, I'm always reading like those for me. Like if I could have those every day, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What happens in the middle is just the gravy. Yeah. But um, I want to thank you so much for coming on again and for your amazing work. And as I said at the beginning, you know, it really is a wonderful book and, and so much more than a shopping ban. Um, you wrote towards the end that it's the tools to take control of your life and to get a fresh start. And and Kate, I really hope it was a beautiful fresh start at that. But if people do want to reach out to you and and learn a little bit more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, first of all, thank you for all of just those kind words. Um, The best place is probably just my website. So kateflanders.com. And I also, I don't really like anywhere else on social media, but I love hanging out on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So same thing, just at Kate Flanders. Damn, well, I will link to all of that in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. And I will also have links where uh, people can purchase your book. Um, it, it really is. I know I've said it so many times. It is a, a beautiful read. Um, and you might need a box of tissues as well when you read that <laughs> for some parts. It should come with a warning. <laughs> exactly. Um, is there anything that I've, I've left out or, or anything that you want to add before we part ways? No, I think um, just it was great for us to finally connect again. Mm. I'm so glad that we were able to. And, and just thank you for this. Uh, thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, have fun and live immediately.
That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.